and Naomi. Turn in your Bibles to Joel chapter 2. And if you'd like access to the teaching notes, those are online, available for you. And you can also access them on that QR code. Again, there's a link that'll take you straight to those notes. I'm going to read this from Joel chapter 2, just paraphrased version, verse 12 to 32. As we're preparing for this 40-day fast, this 40-day of increased engagement, and again, begin on March 1st, go 40 days into April, we're as a spiritual family seeking to posture ourselves before the Lord in a spirit of humility, and we're asking in a very general sense, we're asking the Lord to re- release all of the grace of God, all of the understanding, all of the power of his love, the breakthrough of the Holy Spirit that we are able to receive in this life. There is a grace of God that is available to us. We don't want to come short in receiving and participating in that which the Lord is doing. And one of the ways that we do that is by taking seasons to press the envelope of what is comfortable to us, of what is convenient to us, in order to lean into the Lord with a posture of humility. We're in an important hour. I wanna highlight this, and then what we're gonna do today is we're gonna highlight some of the prophetic themes that the Lord is highlighting to our leadership team, not all of them, but a few of them, five of them, how they relate to one another. Um, Let's look at this in Joel chapter two, verse 12. Many of you have heard this many times, but we're gonna look at it again just briefly. Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all of your heart and with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments and return to the Lord, for he is gracious and merciful. That's why we return to the Lord with a spirit of humility, because of the Lord's graciousness and his mercy that abounds to his people when we approach him in this way. Verse 14, who knows if the Lord will turn and relent? Who knows if he'll relent from doing disaster? There may be things that can be avoided even within the sovereign plan of God when the people of God turn to him in a spirit of humility. Verse 15, blow the trumpet in Zion and call a fast. And this is what we're doing. We're calling a fast. It's a sacred assembly. That's how the Lord wants us to see it, as a 40 days of sacredness, which means set apart to the Lord in an intentional way. Gather the people. Let the priests who minister before the Lord, let them say, spare your people, O God. Or why should they say among the nations, where is their God? We don't want the name of the Lord, the name of Christ, to be profaned among the nations. We want to fight for the name of Christ to be exalted and honored and venerated. Verse 28, the prophet tells us that it shall come to pass afterward, and that word afterward is key. It's after the people set themselves before him in a posture of humility, seeking him in fasting and prayer. He says, after you do this, he says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters, they'll prophesy. I will release a spirit of prophecy when my people turn to me in a spirit of humility. The Lord will release dreams and visions He'll pour out his spirit in those days and he will show wonders in the heavens and signs on the earth. There will be an increase of the spirit of the Lord as the people of God operate in the ministry of the Holy Spirit through dreams, visitation, signs, and wonders. Why are they doing those things? It's so that the nations, look down here in verse 32, so that the nations would call upon the Lord and be saved. The Lord is not just interested in releasing his spirit on us and this spiritual family so that we have better, more exciting meetings, so that we just have a spiritual party here in this room and nobody knows what's going on outside. I like more exciting meetings. 
I like when the Holy Spirit comes and disrupts us and releases joy and laughter and miracles among his people. I want more of that. I don't want less of that. There's a reason that the Lord is gonna pour out his spirit and it's so that those that do not know the name of Christ would hear of the works and that they would tremble and that they would put their trust in the living God. There's a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit that is coming across the earth and there will be many outpourings, small letter O, not capital O outpourings. There will be many outpourings that we see before the great outpouring of the day of the Lord and we wanna contend for those things. The Holy Spirit is orchestrating something that we believe is extraordinary during this critical hour of history, and it's that the Lord is getting the attention of the body of Christ to lean into him and embrace weakness. We mentioned it on Friday night at the service that in the times of embracing voluntary weakness, it's like we're double-dipping on what the Lord is doing in the nations in an involuntary way. In other words, through the pandemic and through social crisis and increasing hostility and increasing trouble, people are having to deal with the issues of their heart that are coming to the surface in an involuntary way. Many people are discovering they are not as patient as they imagined. They are not as gracious as they, are, they imagined. Why? Because the last year and the increase of pressure in society of things beyond our control are bringing these things to light. And when we say yes to the Lord through a spirit of humility and embrace fasting and prayer as a corporate body, we're double dipping. We're, we're saying, Lord, accelerate that process of showing us what lies beneath the surface of our own souls. Because we want to lean into you in a spirit of humility. We want you to show us what's there so that the next crisis doesn't have to bring it to the surface so that we can deal with the issues of our own compromise, our own lukewarmness, our own state of spiritual dullness now so that it doesn't take a trumpet blast and a worldwide pandemic to wake us up a year from now. That's why, it's one of the reasons why we do this. It's one of the reasons why Many in the body of Christ don't wanna lean into things like corporate fasts and corporate times of seeking the Lord because it's incredibly hard and it's incredibly inconvenient. And if you're like me, when you hear the thought of a 40-day fast, you're thinking, this is, <laughs> this is going to massively disrupt my life. And I think, this is the way I think, just insight into my mind, not that you care, I think, how can I do a 40-day fast in the most convenient way for me? How can I build humility around my life in a way that's convenient to me? I mean, even as I'm saying it now, the irony is striking me in a fresh way. You know, I don't think humility and a spirit of repentance is convenient in any way at all to any of us. And that's why we do these and invite these corporate times together because we have a spiritual family that is leaning into these messages and it's easier to do it among a company of people and friends that are saying yes to the same inconvenience that you are. We're gonna be hosting special nights Friday evenings. Many of you know that. We began our first one just last Friday. Friday evenings to emphasize key messages and themes the Lord is highlighting during this 40 days. All are welcome to come to that. We'll have childcare available for that. So please join us. You can join us in person or online those Friday evenings. I wanna introduce us <clears throat> to some key prophetic things that we believe the Lord is highlighting. Many of you know these prophetic themes, but others that have only been here maybe a year or two, or maybe longer, you're not as in tune with some of these prophetic messages and these chapters in the scripture that the Lord is highlighting and that we're going to highlight over the next 10 weeks or so during these 40 days especially. And our desire as a leadership team is that our spiritual family that's here 
and abroad that they would be familiar with these themes in the Bible. They would be able to grasp what, their, what the main message is and that they would be able to communicate it to a person or two in their life if they have the opportunity to. And if you've been around IHOP or Forerunner Church for a little bit of time, you know that there's kind of this internal language that the people use. It can be a little bit shocking and confusing at first. You know, you'll be having coffee with a person. Hey, let's get together. How are you doing? Well, I'm just confronted by the Revelation 17 reality, man. Things are just going down the drain. But there's a John 3 promise that's coming, but it's actually John 1, 51. There's an open heaven coming, and man, this is just a Joel 2 hour to embrace right now because Genesis 3 is gonna happen before our eyes. The seed of the woman is gonna crush the head of the serpent, Revelation 12, you know what I mean? And you know, you know, pe- people talk like that. And, and, you know, some of us are laughing because we're like, yeah, well, we do that. Weird, huh? And other people are like, you guys are a bunch of freaks. What did I just Google and bring my family to? So, <laughs> it's okay to laugh at ourselves, you know. Better to laugh than to cry. Anyway, um, so... Five key prophetic themes, and I'm just gonna give a brief overview on some of these chapters so that when you hear, or if you say, you could be a part of the insider, so to speak, language. It's not really insider, but you could be a part of the spiritual language. It's really, my intent this morning is to onboard our spiritual family together for the sake of agreement and continuity. So that as we press in as a spiritual family, we can kind of know what's going on and have a grid for the things that Mike is gonna be unpacking in the next weeks ahead of us here. So that's if someone says we're in a Revelation Psalm 2 hour, we gotta have a Joel 2 response unto John 17 and Isaiah 19. So that you would know what that means. So I'm gonna go through this here. (laughs) And uh, help us, Lord, help me, okay. Well, these are the five things that, that many in our midst are believing that the Lord is highlighting. Number one, these first two highlight the condition that we see through the scripture in the body of Christ and in the culture right now. It's the present state of these things. If you're following along with the notes, it will help you. Revelation 3, verse 14 to 22, highlights the spiritual condition of much of the body of Christ. Not all of the body of Christ, but much of the body of Christ, particularly in the Western nations. And Revelation chapter three highlights what we call the Laodicean spirit or the Laodicean hour that is touching and has infected the heart of the people of God. And in one sentence, It means that the body of Christ has become lukewarm in their devotion to the Lord. They've become so comfortable with their circumstances, with their jobs, and with their way of living that their heart is dynamically disconnected from where the Lord wants their heart to be. Psalm chapter two highlights the condition of the prevailing culture. And we see both of these things both currently and rising in the day ahead. So the first two go together. It is the condition of the church and the prevailing culture. Psalm two, again, that highlights the secular culture is the rage amongst leaders and nations against the things of God. And an increased rage that is growing in the heart of the nations that is gonna cause the nations to begin to resist the truth of God's word and the people of God in an unprecedented way. Now, many of these things, they've already been happening for many, many years throughout history, throughout church history. Nations and kings rage against Christ and his law and his ways. They rage against his leadership. They rage against his people. 
And so Revelation 3 and Psalm 2 give us insight into the condition of the body of Christ and the prevailing culture. Number two, the Lord calls us to respond in an appropriate way. And he calls us to this response all through the word of God, the Old Testament, the New Testament, over and over and over again. He calls the people of God to respond in a spirit of humility, primarily through the activity of fasting and prayer. Embracing weakness is God's way forward in the hour of pressure. His leadership is so different, and many are resistant to the invitation of the Lord to walk with him in these ways. They go, I don't wanna embrace weakness. I already feel weak. Lord says, the more that you depend upon me, the more that I will be able to do to deliver you, to deliver your heart, to deliver your families, to deliver the prodigals, to break through with the power and the glory of the gospel in a way that you've never seen before. We have to get out of trying to strategize and outmaneuver the shakings that are happening in the earth right now. We can't out-strategize God. We have to realize that it is God, Hebrews tells us, that will shake all things so that what cannot be shaken, which is his kingdom, will remain. And many are leaning into this and many are not leaning into this as well. Joel 2 is the response of the people of God. We embrace a spirit of humility. The Lord insists on humility. He insists on a spirit of repentance to touch us, not just telling the world what they should repent of. The Lord is more concerned with what the church is not willing to own and repent of because they are his people. And judgment begins in the house of the Lord. Correction begins with the people of God. And he wants us in a spirit of humility to turn to him as we're seeing problems, issues, and sin emerging and increasing around us, the Lord wants the body of Christ to turn to him in a spirit of humility and repentance and not just say, Lord, get them to repent of their sin, but Lord, search me and show me where I am in sin. Show me where I am in compromise. This is an invitation of the Lord. This is not a heavy intense thing, when we come before him in a spirit of humility, the Lord will wash us, clean us, show us our blind spots, and we will feel so more free and happy in a spirit of repentance. Trust me on that. Just The response highlights fasting and prayer as one of the main ways in which we operate in a spirit of humility and repentance before the Lord. Fasting we embrace physical strength. That's what happens when you fast food, is that you feel physically weak. When you, when you pray, you're fasting your time. You're reallocating your time. So you become weak in your body through fasting, and you become weak in your time and your schedule availability through prayer and the increase of prayer in our lives. Okay, number three. I'm getting a little behind here. Number three is God's response. He says that I will release an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on my people when they do this. John 17, Jesus prays that the Father would grant to the body of Christ unprecedented unity and unprecedented love. And we're gonna look at these things more in the teaching notes. When the church operates in this spirit of unity and love, like Jesus prayed for. I mean, in a historic way, when the church operates this, the world is going to see the greatest witness of the person of the Son of God in the body of Christ. They're going to look at the unity and the love within the body of Christ, and it will be a sign to them, it will be a witness to them of the person and the majesty of Jesus. Right now, the world, sadly, is not looking at this church service and is so provoked by our unity and love for one another. I like the unity that we have. I like the measure of love that we have. But I'm pretty certain, 
I could be wrong, but you could go ask your coworkers that are unsaved. And then you don't have to let me know. I already guessed what they'll say. And ask them, are you provoked to the person of Christ through my church's spirit of unity and love, devotion to God in the way they love one another? Just go ask them. And the Lord wants to establish this as an answer to his people. As we cry out, as we position ourselves in humility, we say, Lord, we want the power of God that manifests in a brotherly love and a spirit of love and devotion and loving one another, serving one another in such a way that the nations, the unbelievers, are provoked by the manifestation of this. Isaiah 19, now that's maybe the more familiar passage. It's certainly more familiar to me, beginning to look at it in an increased way. Isaiah 19 is a prophetic promise in the scripture that gives us insight into what happens when God establishes that John 17, unity and love. And the Lord's gonna do it among the Abrahamic family, among Jews and Gentiles in the Middle East, Believers, they are going to be so deeply in a spirit of unity and love and power. And Isaiah saw this in the future and he prophesied about it in this passage. Paragraph D, in summary, these 40 days are our response as a spiritual family, that's Joel 2, to the present condition That's Revelation 3, the body of Christ, Laodicea, and Psalm 2, the increasing rage in the nations. As we engage with faith that God is going to respond, that's John 17 and Isaiah 19. So our response to the present circumstances is to believe God for a breakthrough and outpouring of the Holy Spirit and power. Let's go to the second page. Just a brief overview, Revelation 3. The Lord says, I know your works because you are lukewarm. You're not hot and you're not cold. Your heart is not cold towards me, but it's also not on fire for me. This is where many believers are in the body of Christ. They're in this spirit of lukewarmness. They're neither progressing in their devotion to the Lord, their faith, their love for one another, their love for Christ is not increasing, but it's also not decreasing. They're just kind of on the cruise ship in autopilot mode, just riding the waves. The church in Laodicea was lukewarm because their outward wealth and relative ease of circumstances, it did not invoke a cry for more of things of the Spirit. Their outward circumstances, the comfort of their life, the bills are relatively paid. The kids are mostly happy. The marriage is okay. We're just kind of okay coasting along in our life. But there's not what Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount, a hunger for the things of God, a thirst for the righteousness of God. There's not a poverty of spirit recognizing the great gap between the glory and the majesty of God and our present state of devotion and love and adoration of him. The Lord calls that a lukewarm spirit. They allowed their outward successes in business or ministry or family to take precedence over their internal life of love and devotion to Christ. They became more comfortable in the carnality of their lives and they were not confronted with the deep issues of their own soul. They misunderstood how they appeared before God. They thought everything is okay, we're good. The meetings are getting bigger, The finances are ticking up a little bit. We attend church regularly. We have a nice friendship group on the side. Things are going good. And the Lord says, you don't understand your spiritual state before me. I'm gonna show you what your spiritual state is. He says that you have said, you've become rich, you've become wealthy, and you don't need anything. 
What a piercing word from the Lord for the body of Christ that is entrapped in this Laodicean spirit. He's saying, you, you think that you need nothing of me. You're okay with things as usual. You're okay. If, if things in the outward are just increasing a little bit, you're okay with that. But you're not concerned about your own spiritual state. You're not concerned about your heart the depth of your love for me, you're not concerned with growing in a spirit of understanding or the knowledge of God. You're not concerned as long as things are comfortable for you. You're in a state of just lethargy. The Lord says, I'll show you. I'm gonna tell you. In my mercy, I'm going to tell you what you're actually like before me. He says, you don't know this, but you're actually wretched before me. Miserable, poor, blind, and naked but you don't see that because your outward circumstances have made you comfortable enough that you're not in tune with your spiritual condition. He says, I counsel you. One, you have to recognize your spiritual state before me. You have to actually ask for a spirit of revelation to come and touch your heart to reveal your condition before me. Because in reality, this is the way we are before the Lord, before the majesty of of the glory of God, we all appear in this way. And he wants us to have and cultivate this impoverished spirit of need for the work and the ministry of Jesus in our lives. He doesn't want us dependent on ourselves. He doesn't want us self-sustaining. He wants us deeply dependent upon him in all the areas of our life. The Lord is trying to make us strong, yes, but he's trying to make us strong in accordance with his grace and his mercy, not in spite of it. He's not trying to get us to stand up on our own. He's causing us to lean on him in a deep way, in a profound way, and he wants that in the body of Christ. I'm gonna keep moving on here. Let's go to Psalm 2, an overview of the secular culture. David prophesied that the leaders and peoples of the nations, they would be enraged against the Lord and his Christ. That means the Father and the Son. The kings of the earth, it says in Psalm 2, verse 2, they set themselves. The rulers will take counsel together. They're, they will ins, uh, conspire together against the Lord. And what are they conspiring to do? Verse 3 they're saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. What they're trying to do is they're trying to drive the influence of the word of God completely out of every cultural expression. They don't want the boundary lines that have been given to us by the prophets through the lips of God. They don't want to be constrained and confined to those things. They don't want to bow the knee to God's definition of marriage. They don't want to bow the knee to God's definition of healthy sexual expression. They don't want to bow the knee to many, many, many things in terms of what God, the creator of heaven and earth, has ordained and allotted for his creatures. He, they, don't, they don't want to do that. So they're conspiring together. And they are saying, let us break these old archaic teachings of God's word so that we can become who we are. And what they mean is we can become who we are outside of the grace of God. We don't need God. You see this emphasized in the Tower of Babel. Man, apart from God, conspiring against God so that they could become great in their own eyes. The Lord's gonna respond in a very terrifying way. Verse four, it says that he will laugh and he will mock them and he will hold them in derision. What a terrifying response. As man and all of his ingenuity and all of his high and lofty thinking of himself conspires against the Lord of heaven, seeking to overthrow his ways and his counsel, the Father speaks, he responds with laughter. I mean, what an absolutely terrifying response. If he were like 
angry and deriding them, that would be less of a terrifying response to me than just pure laughter. I mean, like, what is that? That might offend some of the niceties we have about the God of heaven and what he's like. He's laughing and deriding and mocking his enemy. I mean, terrifying. The Lord will begin to distress them. He will begin to distress their plans. He will raise up an anointed people, a church. He will raise up men and women, young and old, that will walk in accordance with the ways of God. They will operate in the spirit and the power of Elijah. When the nations in Elijah's day were raging against God, the priests of Baal and Ahab and Jezebel are raging against God, God anoints a servant, a humble man named Elijah to resist their authorities and distress the leaders of that day. The Lord is gonna do this all over the earth. He's gonna anoint men and women with a spirit of prophecy to do signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth that will distress kings and nations because the Lord is calling them to repentance. But they're gonna do it not with their chest out, not saying, ha, 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 we told you so, but in a spirit of true humility as they wash the feet of their own enemies and do not speak evil against them. Think about that. Well, our response before the Lord, Joel 2, I highlighted this at the beginning. In the midst of this Revelation 3, that's Laodicea, spiritual compromise of the church, and in the midst of this Psalm 2, the leaders and the prevailing culture raging against the God of heaven, the Lord calls his people to this posture of humility. That's his answer. When the nations rise up in power and are anointed with demonic strength. The Lord goes, I will have a humble people that bow down before me. That is my answer. My answer is young men and women that fear my name. They tremble before my word. They humble themselves. They don't assume they have all of the answers, but they cry out to me for wisdom. And he says, I will use them in very powerful ways. I will use them to disrupt the schemes of the evil one. I will use their words to humble the words of the so-called wise. He says, I will do this. We see this in the book of Acts. These young apostles, these young gruff fishermen and tax collectors that the Lord anoints. You know what it says? The leaders say, they hear them preach. They go, we can't, we can't overcome what they're saying. We've got no answer. And it says they perceived that they were untrained and uneducated men, but they had no answer because the spirit of the Lord rested upon these humble servants and there was no rebuttal for the wisdom that came off of their lips. And we want to get a vision for this, not just a vision to prove our point, not just a vision to have the last laugh, but a vision for deep humility and the way of the servant heart of God in this hour. The Lord says, turn to me with all your heart in Joel 2, 12. The Lord is after wholeheartedness in his people. And I believe that when the Lord looks down from heaven at all the problems and the rage of the nations, he is not mostly worried about the rage of the nations and what the culture and the kings and the unbelievers are doing. He is not thinking about that for the most part. Psalm 2 says he's laughing at it. But what the Lord will not tolerate is his own bride that has covenanted with him through the blood of Jesus on the cross, he will not tolerate his own bride in compromise and resisting his ways and his leadership. He is the bridegroom God, and because he's a bridegroom, he's jealous. And he's saying the primary response for the earth is to turn to me with all of your heart. I am the bridegroom. I love you with all my heart, and I want you to love me with all of your heart. Will you do that? Will you give up 
your wisdom? Will you give up your strength? Will you give up your strategies and exchange it for mine? Will you go the way of the cross in this hour? He says, turn to me with all your heart. Consecrate a fast in verse 15. And when we fast, it's not to get God to answer our prayers more speedily. We like, we like when God answers our prayers <laughs> sooner rather than longer. But fasting is about intentionally embracing weakness so that our hearts are positioned to walk in the full measure of grace that we have available to us. I wanna highlight this. James 4 says that God will resist the proud but give grace to the humble. God will resist us and our pride manifests in the compromise of our own souls and the compromise of our own spirits. And the Lord says, I will resist you. And so when we turn to the Lord and humility and fasting and prayer or repentance, we're saying, Lord, we want to receive more of your grace. There is a greater grace. James 4, 6 tells us there is a greater grace that remains for the people of God. I'm gonna make up a number. Maybe we're experiencing 25% of the grace that we can have, but we could increase our experience of the grace of God because it's not indicative of him and how much he wants to release. It's indicative of us and how much we're willing to agree with what he wants to do. We wanna walk in the full measure. We wanna get a vision for the full measure of the grace of God, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on our children, on our families, on our marriages. We wanna get a vision for that. And how do we do it? We bow down low before the Lord. Those that are greatest in the kingdom of heaven, they serve the most. They have the deepest posture of humility in this life. Verse 28, Joel 2, again, highlighting our response before the Lord. He says, afterward, I'll pour out my spirit. He's gonna release a spirit of prophecy on the global body of Christ. We have not yet seen the full manifestation of this. We saw a deposit in the book of Acts at the outpouring of Pentecost, but we have not yet seen every believer, young and old, male and female, operating in a spirit of prophecy and power, dreams, visions, signs and wonders, miracles, that day still lies ahead of us. That generation that walks in that power will see, be the generation that sees the great harvest, the greatest global revival ever is in response to the people of God bowing down in humility with prayer and fasting. How is the Lord gonna respond? Well, that is one of the ways that he's gonna respond. Let's look at John 17. And we're just, again, briefly doing an overview of these, but I wanna encourage you to take these notes, or there, we have many other resources on these things, but to take these notes Go to these passages in the Bible in your time before the Lord and talk to the Lord about these things. Ask him, get your mind around it. Say, Lord, show me, reveal to me your plan and your purposes so that you would be familiar with them and in the most natural sense, it, it will help you over the next 40 days to track with some of the things that we're gonna be highlighting here. Okay, John 17, before going to the cross, Jesus prays in John 17. It's the prayer of Christ right before his betrayal. He prays to the Father, and he could have asked for anything. He prays to the Father, and he highlights two key truths, many truths, but two key ones that I wanna highlight. He asked the Father to release unprecedented love and unity on the body of Christ. How unusual. Through this love and unity that the Lord is gonna establish within the body of Christ, he is going to release the greatest witness to the earth about his coming in the flesh. Let's read this, verse 21. Jesus prays that they all, meaning believers, those that put their trust in him, would be one. 
as you, the Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us. He's asking for a spirit of unity that is shared within the Godhead. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit in perfect unity, in perfect agreement, always delighting in the plan of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. They share a deep unity and agreement at the most divine, holy, transcendent level. He says that same measure of unity, I want it to be imparted into my people. I want them to share the same unity that I have. I want them to share the unity that we have in the Godhead with us. That's mind-blowing part number one. And I want, to share, I want them to share that measure of unity among each other. When I look at the body of Christ, I mean, I see, you know, the comments and the four articles and the comment section on that. I mean, it's, we are nowhere near this level of unity, divine, Trinitarian unity, possessing the body of Christ, touching us so that we are in perfect agreement and love and fellowship with one another. And this is crazy. He says, I want them to be made perfect in one. The measure of perfection that's shared in the Godhead. He says, I want this to manifest in my people. Why? What's gonna happen? What's an outcome? He mentions it two, two times. Number one, that the world would believe that you sent Jesus. When the body of Christ operates in unprecedented unity, in unprecedented love, it will cause the world, not all of them, but it will cause the world to know that Christ has been sent of the Father, that he actually is God made flesh. 1. Further, he says, the love that I have for them and that you, Father, have for me. He goes, I wanna put it inside of them. I wanna deposit in them a love that is far beyond their human capacity. I wanna deposit a love that is far beyond their cranky demeanor on a Monday morning with no caffeine. I wanna put on a love that's beyond the mask of niceties and Midwest kindness that we can throw on, smile at people, but inside we're raging. We don't like people. We are deeply offended at them, but we never talk about it. I'm not saying go tell everyone you're offended at them. I'm saying that God is going to help us love us, to love each other, and to love him with the same quality and degree of love that God loves God. We can't get this in a weekend service. You can't get this in a message. You, just, you can't get this. This is something to be received from heaven. The Lord wants to release upon his people. Isaiah 19. Now we're moving to this fifth passage. Isaiah 19. Isaiah 19 gives us a picture, it's a promise, a prophetic promise of the John 17 unity manifesting in Middle Eastern nations. How interesting. Three nations are highlighted in Isaiah chapter 19. Israel, the nation of Israel, Egypt, and then Assyria. And Assyria makes up about three, four, five more modern, primarily Arab nations that are there in the Middle East. Isaiah prophesied that there would be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in this region in the last days. The, the Lord is going to establish this measure of love and unity that he's talking about in John 17. He's gonna establish it among Jewish and Arab believers between one another. God has intentionally, I'll let you read the verse from Isaiah 19 on your own. Paragraph C, God has intentionally picked this scenario to demonstrate his power. Because the most hostile, long-standing, seemingly irreconcilable conflict exists among these nations. In the historical context, if you look back, the strife and the enmity among these nations and particularly among Israel and the surrounding Arab nations, what we call 
The Abrahamic family has been the longest lasting standing strife and hostility. And the Lord is going to use that strife and hostility to show the glory and the magnificent power of the gospel of Christ. He said, I'm gonna pick the longest standing hostile relational dynamics in a family and it's there that I'm going to display my love and power in a way that is gonna shock the entire earth. It will manifest in these nations. It will manifest among the believers in these nations. There will be a great outpouring that will be a great revival and a great harvest of souls in these nations and the way that Jewish Believers love Arab believers and the way that Arab believers love Jewish believers and the way that Jewish believers love Jewish believers, on and on and on, is going to powerfully demonstrate the reconciling power of the cross of Christ. And he is committed to this plan. He wrote it down in Isaiah 19. So when we read John 17, okay, love, unity, power. Okay, let's call the meeting. Let's get the local churches together. Let's take up an offering and give it to the poor altogether. We did the unity thing. Lord goes, no, 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 no. I'm going to do something. I have a plan that is gonna put Jesus so on display. He is gonna be so magnified. He is gonna be so glorified that everyone, everyone is going to be humbled and shocked and amazed by what I'm gonna do. I will restore the family of Abraham. I will bring a spirit of reconciliation and power and love that will manifest between Jewish believers and Arab believers in a way that no one, no person could strategize or do on their own. It's all of God's unfolding plan and purpose. This gives us great confidence because think about the irreconcilable relationships that we have today or in our own culture. And when we read John 17 and we read Isaiah 19, it's to inspire confidence that God can redeem and restore any relationship through the cross of Jesus Christ. Many are in conflict, you know, there's conflict in their relationship, there's conflict in their family, their marriage, there's conflict between ethnic groups, black and white, and many other expressions of conflict. And the Lord says, if you lean into me in a spirit of humility, I will release unprecedented unity to overcome unprecedented hostility, and I'll show you right here in Isaiah 19, I have the power to do this. Bringing it to a close here. The practical response to the 40-day fast. I have some things written out here. These are very practical things, so it's kind of shifting gears potentially a little bit. We encourage everyone to be well-educated on the dynamics of extended fasting. Do not mess with extended fasting because your body is not 18 years old anymore. It will break and even the 18-year-old will break. Okay, number two, I wanna encourage us to predetermine what your commitment is going to be. Ask the Lord about it. Ask the Lord, Lord, what would you give me grace to do for these 40 days? How much could I give to you? Where could I clear up in my schedule? And what type of fast should I do? Talk to the Lord about it. And then before the fast starts, tell someone what your commitment is going to be. Say, I'm setting my heart to do this. It will help you be accountable to actually walk it out. If you have two or three friends that are doing a similar thing, you can encourage one another along the way to stay with your commitment during those 40 days. I wanna encourage you, number three, this is really important, to engage in corporate prayer more than usual. If you do fasting without engaging more in prayer, you're just doing a diet. You're just gonna be tired and hungry and miserable. So if you can't do the prayer thing, then look at the fasting thing again. Don't just go to your job, come home to your family in the evening, turn on the TV and just be starving yourself. That makes no sense at all. Really look to engage in the place of prayer in a more intentional way for these 40 days. I wanna encourage everyone to take 
a fast from media and a break from media. Social media, news media, cable media, movies, TV shows, I think we could all do with a little break from that, you know? <laughs> uh, we wanna encourage that as many have grace to do it would actually be to fast from food, to fast from food. I wanna be bold about this because biblical fasting is about fasting food. And you can fast other things and those things are good, but biblical fasting is about embracing voluntary physical weakness through abstaining through food. We are encouraging children not to fast from food. I wanna say it even stronger just as a, spiritual leader here and the lead pastor, do not make your children fast from food. Do not do that. That is not just unhealthy. That is ungodly to do that. Do not do that. And a minor who's a preteen, whatever, to do, they would only fast from food under direct guidance and supervision. And on our website, ihopkc.org slash fasting, I have it in the notes there. We have Tons of encouraging, insightful, and helpful ways uh, to engage in fasting. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come out. I'm gonna pray for us. Um, next week, Mike and Diane will be back from sunny Florida, and uh, Mike will be sharing at the service and likely expounding on many of these things and just sharing with uh, what's on his heart. So I wanna pray for us. Let's all Stand, if you're able to, please stand. Just as we bring this service to a close, I wanna ask that the Lord would give us a grace, an unusual grace as a spiritual family to lean in to these 40 days. And grace for fasting does not mean that fasting is easy. Let me say that again. If God gives us grace to fast, it doesn't mean that it's now easy and I have no hunger and it's not hard and I'm not tired and not fatigued and all that. Grace means I have the ability to not quit and I have the ability to endure through it. The Lord promises grace when we come before him in a posture of humility, James 4, 6. It says that he gives more grace, which is the empowerment of his spirit. He gives more grace God will resist the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, James 4, 6. Father, we come before you as a spiritual family. All those that are here, Lord, in this city and throughout other cities and regions, our spiritual family, throughout the nations. Lord, we come before you with a spirit of humility. We say desperately that we need you in this hour. We need you in this hour, Lord far more than we know, far more than maybe we're able to connect with in this very moment. We look out at things that are escalating in the culture. We look at the pressure. We look at the disunity in the body of Christ. We look at our own lack of power and spiritual fervor. Lord, we cry out to you. We ask, Lord, that you would release grace upon us. Grace upon this family. Grace upon every heart, Lord. Grace upon the weakness of our flesh. Grace upon our immaturity. Grace upon our weariness. And what we've walked through, even the last year as a spiritual family together, Lord, we ask for grace. Your word says that there is a greater grace. There is a greater grace. We ask for that empowerment of the Holy Spirit to touch us. That you would begin to work your word, your truth deeper into our lives, deeper into our souls. That you would bring to the surface the things that you want to talk about. The things that you want us to know about our own spiritual condition. Where you want to encourage us where you want to strengthen us by your word, we ask for the grace of the Lord. We'll just take a minute and just wait on the Lord that Justin and the team will lead us in a song. And let's just put our hearts before Jesus. We love you, Lord. Give us grace.
It is a firm foundation And I will put my trust in you alone And I will not be shaken And I will build my life upon your love It is a firm foundation I will put my trust in you alone And I will, I will not be shaken spiritual family, encourage you if you're in the wrestle of your own heart going I want to lean in but man I'm not I'm not sure I need a greater grace even to say yes to that my life feels so busy I feel so tired and fatigued but Lord if you're calling me I want to respond and if that's you we want to take a stand with you as a leadership team and our altar ministry team we want to stand with you and ask for the grace of God to touch our lives. Just wanna invite you to come up to the front, come stand on these lines. Some of you are remembering the fast from last year, 40 days, same dates. Lord, it's too soon, what are you doing? I don't know, I kinda of thought that myself. Lord, if you would give us grace as a people, we will say yes to you. If you would release grace, we will say yes to you in an increased way in these 40 days. Just come up and stand. Holy Spirit, release your grace upon this body, Lord, upon your spiritual family. Just our ministry team be released and our leaders across the missions base, if you wouldn't mind just coming and we're just crying out for grace together. This is not about us giving you something. This is about us all together asking the Lord for something. Amen. Oh, my roots go down deep. Unmovable and unshakable. I want to be unmovable and unshakable. My roots go down deep, unmovable and unshakable in you. I wanna be unmovable and unshakable. My roots go down deep, unmovable and unshakable in you. I wanna be unmovable and unshakable. Let my roots go down deep in you, unmovable and unshakable in you. Oh, and I, I want to be like a tree planted by the streams of Unshakable in you. I wanna be unmovable and 
down